Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. My name's Dodge. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and thrown thousands of parties across the UK. And I'm also the owner of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival. Everyone who knows me knows I love people, having a laugh <laughs> and asking lots of questions. So I've been chatting to people with one thing in common. They've all lived eventful lives. This week I'm delving into the eventful life of rugby legend Dylan Hartley. As England rugby captain, Dylan led his country to a Six Nations Grand Slam, a 3-0 series win over Australia, and became England's most capped hooker of all time, with 97 caps. We chat about his rapid rise in the professional game, his career controversies, and the ruthless competitiveness it took to succeed. Dylan really opens up for the first time and gives us lots of exclusives about his long list of disciplinaries and the truth behind his violent reputation. I've never heard Dylan speak so frankly about his life and career, and I think any sports fan out there will absolutely love this episode. If you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, and if you want to get in contact with me personally, you can get me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. Here he is, the man himself, Mr. Dylan Hartley. Dylan, welcome to the show, mate. Where's your notes? I've got no fucking notes, mate. You've got no notes? Off just... the cuff, mate. Oh, right, Off right. the cuff. Let's roll, let's roll. <laughs> Dill, let's go all the way back. Where did you uh, grow up and how did you get into rugby? Uh, Rotorua, New Zealand, Central North Island. Uh, smelly town, if anyone has ever been there. Uh, it's right on a, a fault line. So uh, it's got like sulphur, volcanic uh, geysers. You call them geysers, mud pools, all that sort of stuff. Um, sort of Maori heartland. So if, if you were to gonna kind of to, to go to New Zealand and do a bit of a tourism experience in Rotorua, you'd probably do the whole Marae visit, like the, the the village or the the site where they kind of meet. You'd do a hungi where they cook in the ground. Uh, you'd see the haka and all the waiata, the songs and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of um, kind of Maori legend and myth there. Um, so yeah, Central North Island is where I grew up. Uh, born to uh, an English mother and um, probably a third Generation Kiwi. I mean, most Kiwis all hailed from over these ways at, yeah. at some point. So, no, Hartley surname suggests that it was somewhere from up in Lancashire. So, always kind of aware of my my English heritage. Uh, both my grandparents are very English. So, the, the sorry, the original part of your question was, was, was rugby. How did I get into it? Yeah. Uh, mate, it's lifeblood there, yeah. religion. Uh, it's just what you do, you know. Every young kid stands in front of that television and does the hucker at a yeah. certain age watching yeah, yeah, the All Blacks. Yeah. So yeah, it was just something I got into. Didn't really officially sign up to it till I was about 10 years old. Yeah. And that was only because my friendship circle were doing it. That's why I continued to do it, I think. The acceptance, the inclusion. Um, and I loved it, mate. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, mate. Um, so yeah, never did, looked back. Did you know Did you know at an early age that you had a talent? Um, do you know what? I had an obsession. Yeah. I didn't know if I was any good. I got given a rugby ball in 1995 from my dad. And my dad was... Uh, a working man, real blue collar, kind of chippy builder, carpenter, whatever you want to call him. And we never got gifts as kids. Like I've got kids now, man. They yeah. they get gifts every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, like, everywhere they go, they get something, yeah. you know. And I try not to. Yeah. And we all try that, but it just happens, you know. So yeah, I got this rugby ball. Um, brother got a basketball, my little brother got a football. So I got this rugby ball and um I, I cherished it. I, I became kind of obsessed with with it. I started practicing all the time. I did all the unnecessary shit that you know, I never did when I played professionally, like mm. drop kicks, place kicking, <laughs> punting, you know, all the, all the silly offloads and that stuff. But 
I had an obsession with it. It went with me everywhere. I remember going to barbecues, um, you know, family days out. I took it to school. I remember walking to the bus stop every morning. I'd um, I'd spin past the ball to myself down the road trying to hit the, the power lines and yeah. stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I just became obsessed with with the game and the ball. And at that time, 1995, is when Jonah Lomu yeah. obviously burst onto the world stage as a Rugby World Cup that year. I think he must have been 19, 20 yeah, years old. He was young, wasn't he? Just fresh out of school. Yeah. And he just he just blew up. Mm. I remember um, 10 years old being at school, uh, every kid saying that they wanted to be like Jonah Lomu. And I suppose the the obsession, I don't know where it came from. I remember just staying out till dark, throwing the ball or kicking the ball. And it was like the classic. My brothers weren't always there. My mum would say, come in for dinner, come mm. in for this tea time, you know. So I don't know. I, I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mm. Did you did you know what position you were at a young age? Have you been a hooker all your life? Um, yeah, it's the thing about rugby, right? It's a, yeah. it's a game for all shapes and sizes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I was only one real shape. If you look at me now, <laughs> it's, it's not too far from that. Uh, I was a big kid growing up. You know, I think when you're under tens, under twelves, it doesn't really matter where you play. I played a, a number of positions, but always in the forwards. And then I uh, went to high school. Uh, Mum's baking was doing me good. Found the tuck <laughs> shop as well, and. Uh, you know, slotted into that front row pretty sharpish. But because I'd always had that obsession with, um, you know, playing with the ball, kicking, passing, and a lot of Kiwi kids do this because mm. um, they're grown up with the ball in their hands, going to the front row, I kind of, I know right skill set, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, Did you know you had good hands back then? Do you know you could throw in? Did you know you had like yeah, vision? And I mean, no, I didn't have vision. Yeah. I, I just I just knew I was, I was competent with the ball. Yeah. And I remember coming to England and being a, a front row forward that could actually just catch the ball and pass it. Mm. It was like a big thing, mm. you know what I mean? And that's not a disservice to, to English players, but I've never seen the boys get so excited in a rugby training session when the football comes out for warm-up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and you, you see all the Kiwi yeah. boys, all the Aussies, all the Saffers, yeah. they thought they're like last to get picked and yeah. pick up, mate. Yeah. All the English boys, they come alive and they've got that, um, it's almost like their first love or, yeah. or first sort of talent like the the ball on their feet is just natural. I might just be um, generalising or stereotyping. No, I think I think, here, but... I think you're right. I think we all grew up of a f- f- football, and then we flipped over to rugby. Yeah, you know. But actually, the talent in New Zealand was unbelievable. I did a rugby season there. I did six months in Hamilton, and the talent when I went over, I was like, as a 19 year old kid, I was like, my god, you're like just miles ahead. So were you playing club club rugby, like yeah. men's men's club rugby? Yeah, that's when I went into men's club rugby. I did a season out there for Hamilton Maris. So where, but, where but, did you? Marist's a good club, isn't but it? Being so. a, but being a nineteen-year-old going in to play men's rugby out there was a huge step up. But when I come back from there, you knew that you were a better player. Did you ever represent New Zealand or any high-level kind of rugby before you left the country? No, it's, again, like the the talent pool was pretty deep. Um, I played sort of uh, provincial rugby or it's almost like counties yeah. rugby, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. under thirteens, yeah. under sixteens. I'd uh, represented the Bay of Plenty, which isn't one of the big provinces. Yeah. You're kind of overshadowed by Waikato, yeah. uh, Wellington, Auckland, those big ones. So I'd, I'd kind of done that stuff. But, you know, the reality was first 15 rugby at school, it was like a big that deal. It was a big thing. It? it was a big deal. Yeah. And the the year that I left, we actually won or we drew the national final six yeah. all, which is, is a bit... It was a bit shit, for yeah. you know, We'd gone that whole season, we got to the final and we drew it. And then the year later, the school won it. Yeah. So I came from a really strong rugby school. Um, the reality was there was there was five players from that first 15 that probably went on to play professional rugby. Okay, uh, One went on to be an all-black. 
um, Liam Messam. So I didn't quite cut the mustard. Yeah. I wasn't on those sort of rosters. I wasn't on the the scouts kind of clipboards. Because yeah. like you said, there's fucking loads yeah. of good kids. Yeah. And I was just a, an average to above average kid, you know. Yeah. I was nothing special. So um, I sat there and I thought, you know, what can I do in, in the off-season? I uh, didn't really uh, partake in the studies side of school. <laughs> I basically went to school to be social, to eat me lunch uh, or someone else's lunch <laughs> and go to rugby training. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. But uh, in terms of schoolwork, I wasn't too fussed. And I think it was around GCSE's time. Um, what do we call it there? School cert. I wanted to, because I knew I wasn't going to do well at it mm. and I didn't really want to do it. I looked for a loophole basically. Yeah. And um, I saw a school exchange to to England. So um, I went in, inquired, inquired about it from the, the school newsletter. It was going to cost like 30 grand, I think. And, you know, I couldn't go to my parents and, and ask mm. for that. And there's a lot of money, you know. Mm. Um, so that sort of idea got poo-pooed. But then my um, my uncle, who lives in um, East Sussex, he he's basically emailed saying, well, if you're thinking about coming here, why don't you come stay with us? Um, go to school with your cousins. There's a rugby academy at the school. So my eyes lit up. Yeah, mate. And mum and dad got me a ticket. And off I went on like a an unofficial school exchange. And how long was that for? Uh, I had plans for a year, yep. which um, I did. I brought my rugby boots with me. I saw that year through. I mean, I did all the, the grassroots club footy, uh, played for the school rugby academy, which is fucking funny. Like I turn up to training and day one of my school. What school? Uh, Beacon Community College. Okay. You know, so I've gone from this, what I would call a professional rugby environment where, you know, it had a sports academy, a first 15 with kids queuing around the block to, to get a trial. Mm. Um, and uh, I turned up to Beacon Community College. And again, good people, good guys, good coaches, you know, good. But the difference was I turned up to, to rugby academy day one and there's uh, seven people there. Yeah. And uh, it's like, right, we'll do some scrums today. And I'm like, fuck it, we need eight people for a scrum. And it's like, oh, what position do you play? It's like, oh, winger. He's like, oh, you get in at lock then. So I'm thinking, what the fuck have I walked into here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I just remember culturally the, the difference as well. I just, um, I went for a piss at the side of the field in, in the bushes and the teachers were like, what are you doing? And so, you know, the, the fact that no one turned up for training um, and, you know, I went for a piss and got told off for it. It was just from a different... Yeah. You know, I got a, a bit of a shock straight away. But I, I think, you know, a bit like, um, I think being a Kiwi in the south of England is probably a bit like a northerner being in the south of England. Yeah. You know, you stand out, you're a bit yeah. different. And obviously, um, I remember this when I, when I grew up in New Zealand, I played soccer as well, football. Yeah. And um, we had a few poms in the team, uh, obviously English people. And they were good because they were English. That was the only yeah. thing. Like they, they, they came in like a level higher than us because yeah. they're English. Yeah. They're like their, their terminologies that they use. It was like fucking, it was. They know their stuff. Yeah. yeah. So straight away, I think being a Kiwi in the South of England, I probably got recognized I and I'd come from an environment that bred success. Yeah. It was a high sort of level first 15. Um, so I think I stood out and, and because I stood out and because I played the way I did, kind of, um, how do I describe that? Probably ultra competitive, yep. um, quite verbal, yeah, um, quite physical. Yeah. Um, I got an opportunity. I got, I got recognized. And I think once I was in that system, you know, yeah. opportunity on opportunity on opportunity, things started picking up. Did you come here though to go, right, I want to make it as a rugby player in England. It's an opportunity. I've got a, my mum's English. I've got an opportunity. If I go through the ranks and play well, I could get an England cap. 
Nah, so that first year was a bit of bit of scapegoating, like I said, a bit of a loophole, just to have a bit of a bit of a time overseas and and play rugby. And the thing is, like every kid in England goes down to you know Thailand, down to the Gold Coast, down yeah. to New Zealand, loops back through Fiji, yeah. California, yeah. then comes back home with you know all the parents' money spent. Ten grand in debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a gap year under yeah. their belt. We we all come here. We live up in Shepherd's Bush. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we do that. So I always had kind of aspirations to do that. My, my big OE, uh, mm. my big gap year, I would have come and, and, and done that. But um, I got here and then that one year of when I was at school here, I managed to play for the England under-18 side. And then what in the first, in the second year of being here? My first year, really? Yeah. So my rugby kind of it took off real quick. Oh, I remember wow. two days, you know, jet lag protocols and all that. There was none of that. I went wow. to down to a county trial, and um, once I got the county trial, you go into the divisional yeah. and then the national selection for the under 18s So within like a few months, my rugby journey had oh, really wow. kicked off. And then once I'd made that, it was a bit like okay, okay, um, something. What year? What year was this? Oh three, oh four. Oh three, oh four. So you knew the system. You knew that what six or seven years under the belt of professionalism by now, you knew there could be an opportunity for you to sign for a club. Do you think? No, not not that not at that point. Um, maybe it was oh two, oh three. Because mm. I remember England winning the World mm. Cup here, and as a, a proud Kiwi boy, yeah. I'd salt rubbed in the wounds, mate. It was. <laughs> I remember being up the clubhouse uh, and all that kicking off. But um, what what a year! Like you talk about Jonah inspiring me at ten years old. Yeah. You know, Johnny Wilkinson and that team inspiring yeah. a fuckload of people yeah. here in England. So I've done my year, played my England under-18s rugby, went back to New Zealand on my my return ticket. And um, my uncle rings up and says, oh, we, we've got an email here. It's got a little red rose on it. And it's um, it's from the RFU. And we said, kind of open it. So we open it and uh, it was an invite to, to go to Durban for three weeks with the under-19s team. And basically all those under-19s boys had left school mm. and they were all part of academies. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so this this is kind of real. Yeah. I can go and try and make it. I've got an opportunity here. Um, so I talked to mum and dad. Uh, they brought me a one-way ticket, which is a lot of money as well. You know, it was like seven, 800 quid. Yeah. And we're, I'm not from money, yeah. so it was a lot of money. Uh, so they'd already got my airfare the year before or that year just gone. And then they buy me this one-way ticket. And um, I had this kind of, not fear, but this pressure of thinking, fuck, this is one way. I've got to make this work. Yeah. So I, I go on this um, this trip to South Africa for, for three weeks. And uh, in the process of agreeing to go on that, I talked to the Worcester Rugby Academy, who were down in the championship yeah. at the time. And um, Who's, Who spoke to them? You or did you have an agent at the time? I did. You so represented agent- yourself. No, this is this is a lot easier than it sounds. But the England under 18s forwards coach, yeah. who I had a relationship with, he was the Worcester okay. Academy coach. Name? So I said, What's his name? Graham Smith. Okay. He was a horrible bastard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he turned out to be a lovely man and, and, a, and a good mentor, you yeah, know, okay. for, for that stage of my life. Good. But, um, you know, they said, Yeah, we'll, we'll sort something. And, um, you know, there's no promise of a, a contract, but I went there on, on fuel expenses, basically. So once a month, I'd fill out, you know, I'm driving from East Sussex to to Worcester and I was getting about 400 quid or something, yeah. but I was actually staying in university halls yeah. uh, in Worcester. So I went there on this promise of a contract. Um, it finally came uh, at, at um, about, f- it was four grand a year and I had to pay rent out of that. And um, it's funny because uh, I've actually worked out, it's 333 quid a month 
250 on rent, <laughs> left me with 21 quid a week <laughs> to be a professional rugby player. But fuck me, I was happy, mate. Yeah, I'd made it, you know what yeah. I mean? I, I could message back home. This is days before kind of um, FaceTime, Skype, yeah. stuff like that. I used to ring mum and dad on the payphone um, on the local corner shop, um, just letting them know I was alive and stuff like that. But I, I got by, you know. I'd, um, what was that feeling like when you signed a contract to play rugby at something you just love? Well, you talk about like your reasonings and your why of doing things through life and what motivates you. At that age from, I suppose, 10 years old to to 19, 20, 21, all I wanted to do was be a professional rugby player. Money didn't really matter. Um, Just to play at the highest level, to to rub shoulders with people I'd I'd grown up watching or aspiring to be like, Mm. um, that was the the motivation. So, So at 17, 18... Um, when I signed that professional contract, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was a good feeling. But the the reality was, and um, uh, I, I talk about this in my book, and it means nothing to no one else, but I had to ring my mum from the payphone outside the house. I couldn't afford to buy boots. Mm. My boots are falling apart. They're, mm. they're fucked. Yeah. I duct taped them up. Yeah. I've done everything I could. And um, these are my tools. You know, I, There's the one thing I needed to, to do or to get paid effectively. Yeah. And my boots get falling apart. And um, I talked to one of my coaches, uh, Ollie Redman, who was a British and Irish lion. Um, and he gave me a pair of his boots, size 13, Fine, size yeah. 11, mate. <laughs> so like, I, I tried Four that. pairs of socks. Oh, I tried that for a week, mate. Um, so there I am, like, I've pay for my mum, put the, put the coins in. Remember those days? Yeah, mate, of course. Phones? Absolutely, used to love them. Um, <laughs> and I'm kind of, you know, really embarrassed to say, mum, um, but... I need some money. Mm. You know what I mean? The pay for my flight one way, I'd gone off to be a professional rugby yeah. player and there I was. I, I felt like a grown man at 18 asking my mummy, you know, yeah. like for some money, please. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt so fucking embarrassed mm. and, and and low. But, you know, without fail, she she wires the money. I can go play some boots, uh, pay, pay for some boots and crack on. But um, I look back at those years in Worcester. So I'm, I'm just kind of... No, mate, go. Just reliving yeah, it mate. all. It was so formative because it, it, I had to grow up real quick. Like, I caught the bus everywhere. Um, I remember picking up pennies off the fucking street. You know, like a, you yeah. see a tramp yeah, do it, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I'm not embarrassed to say it, but I used to, I had a staple diet of like those kilo bags of pasta. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, poached eggs. I, I'd live off that and toast. Um, at Worcester, they had a big kind of conference center. I used to rob the place. Mm. Not not just me, but the, yeah. the boys I, I played with. Yeah. Everything from toilet paper to shower gels yeah. to to milk to I took ham off the bone once, um, <laughs> like you know, like um, all those little cheesecakes that they yeah, put mate. out for conferences. Yeah. Well, we just shit. like sweeping them in a bag. Honestly, Watch. yeah, boys were just rinsing the place. <laughs> but mate, at twenty quid yeah, a week, mate. what the fuck yeah, did we do? <clears throat> what was and, the what was the movement then? What was your mindset? You're going, I can't carry on like this. If you're managing yourself. Were you thinking, I actually need an agent to represent me right now to take me to another club? Or were you happy to stay at Worcester if they were going to pay you more money? This, I think this is the days where rugby's, what, the game had been professional seven years, yeah. eight years at yeah. that point. It was still in its formative or, is it is a word, embryonic? Mm. Still yeah. in its early days, yeah. you know? So I was at a championship club. Like, I wasn't on the radar. Yeah. And this is what fucked me off the most is like, I used to go to these England camps and you'd hear stories about, oh, so-and-so's on 30 grand out yeah. of school. And I'm there on my four grand on 20 yeah. quid a week. It's yeah. like, fucking hell. And um, I had a big chip on my shoulder, yeah. a massive chip on my shoulder. Yeah. But also, I think it gave me that um, 
that burning desire yeah. to fucking have it, you know, to, yeah, to get after my opposite number, mm. to to train hard. And um, I suppose this is the eventful entrepreneur. Um, I better talk about something entrepreneurial. Um, when I wasn't thieving and 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 training, mm. I suppose I found different ways to to earn money. I, I did everything from like uh, pamphlet pamphleting, you know, flyering, yeah, flyering, yeah. did yeah. all that. Uh, yeah. Fucking dogs coming at the letterbox yeah, and shit mate. like that. <laughs> um, I've done that. Um, I, I cleaned gutters. I, I did odd jobs. Um, I used to work at night for for these two brothers that were they were basically taking over nurseries, doing them up. And, mm. and creating a quite a good little business. So down you're doing there. all this while you're on your four grander. Yeah. yeah. So how was, many years did you stay on your four grander for? Two. Two years. And then what did it flip up to from that? From there, did you stay at Worcester? Would you move on? And how much did you jump onto? No, that, that, I suppose that's the link. So I had two years at Worcester, and I played Northampton on a on a Monday night game up there. Beautiful rugby ground. It's outstanding, and I uh, played up there. And uh, I just went. I made a beeline for the coach after the game. And I said, "Can I come here?" Really want to come here. Nice. At the time, um, I recognised a couple of the All Blacks that played for for Northampton. You know, Bruce Rehana yeah. signed my ball when I was ten years old. Yeah. Him and Jonah were at the local park yeah. down down the road from the the Chiefs come through, and yeah. uh, Jonah and Bruce signed my ball. Bruce Rehana was the captain there, yeah. so I was like, okay, Mark Robinson, another All Black. He was a class player, wasn't he? Um, yeah, mm. class class mm. bloke as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of names I recognised. I was like, okay, I could do this. I'd, yeah. I'd quite like to come here. So I made a beeline. He said we can make that happen, and then within um, eight, within three months, I basically moved there at the end of the season. But in that time, that they, they kind of said this is a kind of dodgy dealings of professional rugby. <laughs> so can we do anything to to help you? Yeah. In in the meantime, I just said just financially, I'm fucking struggling. Yeah. Um, they wrote me a check for f- uh, fifteen hundred quid. Happy days. And for three months, mate. Yeah. And it was like I won the lottery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. like I won yeah. the lottery. All my all my worries <clears throat> went away. Yeah. But um. The other thing I was doing at Worcester, which um, I'm not afraid to admit, but I haven't lost this sort of thriftiness. But like, if anyone left kit lying around, I had it, mate. It was in my bag. First teamers, if they left the kit lying yeah, around, mate. I'd have it. Yeah. And this is back in the days before sort of um, England rugby cottoned on to making match-worn stuff yeah. or like the same stuff. <clears throat> so I, I created like this little um, eBay hustle. And I remember I was so proud of it because eBay, once you got to a certain amount of earning – you had to kind of register, you upload your passport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I made like six grand in a year, so I'd made more in my wage. I was selling like I remember <laughs> going and playing for England, right? And every game you get new new yeah. socks, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, new shorts, yeah. new top. Never sold a top. Always kept my tops and gave them to my mum and dad yeah. and that sort of thing. But I'd bring my shorts and socks from the week before, wear them, so I could eBay my other ones, brand new with tags, <laughs> be in. Brand new WT, <laughs> mate, and like Australian shorts for eighty quid, yeah, mate. Um, rain tops for a couple hundred yeah, quid, quality. And then same at Worcester, mate. It wasn't just me. There's a few other boys. I um, I won't label them, but uh, I basically made more money in that year, kind of posting and and packing, packing and posting. Good for you, mate. Kit. So I, what it did for me it created like a thriftiness. I learned how to earn money. I learned to work and train. And then when I signed for Northampton. Doubled my salary, gave me eight grand. They gave me a free house. Free, got, rent, free rent. Yeah, free rent. Yeah, yeah not a free house. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, like fuck, a, that's a good deal. No, 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 <laughs> it certainly wasn't that. Free rent. Yeah. Um, we got a meat pack every week. Yeah. Got a veg box every week. We got free shoes, free boots. How did you feel 
I felt professional. Yeah, I bet. And at that moment, like the penny sort of dropped. The hustle, I'd learnt the hustle, if that makes sense. I learnt how to push myself and work and and fight. Um, that just freed me up to really rip into it. And in my first season moving to Northampton, I went on to play the first four premiership games. So I went from being like a championship academy player, yeah. didn't even train with the first team. Yeah. Um, and I went straight to Northampton, mate, in my, my first preseason, I'm rooming with Carlos Spencer. Oh my God. I grew, wow. I grew up idolizing. Um, <clears throat> and I went, I was professional. Boys couldn't believe it. They're like, fuck, dude, you, you're playing on the telly. So you've, got, you've gone from under 19s England, you've then gone up to Northampton. Have you done England 21s while you're playing professional yep. on the first team as well? Uh, I, I kind of got accelerated through that. I played a couple of years early and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, at 20, I was 21 when I got capped by England. So in between 19, I signed proper professional yeah. for Northampton yeah. in their academy. And at 21, 22, I got capped for England. So in those years, I played England under 21s. Um, and the England Saxons when it was there was like England A back in the day. So I've done it all. I kind of condensed it. Yeah, it was good, man. Who was your Who was your your biggest competitor at the club at Northampton at the time? Um, I'll tell you. No, it was probably before that when I was at Worcester when we we're in the Championship. There's a There's a guy. Um, I won't say his name. Um, feel bad, but fuck, he went to a good school, played the same position. He was in a good academy. He was on the good money, yeah. you know, or perceived good money. Yeah. And I was at Worcester finding, and he, he was getting picked ahead of me. And, um, you know, I'm not, not proud of this at all, but 18-year-old um, kid on the other side of the world, no real guidance, mm. but just real desire to, to make it. Mm. Um, Worcester played Leicester uh, one game, and I basically got him, and I kind of, um, I hit him, punched him, um, punched him again and again, knocked him out, um, completely off the ball in a ruck type thing. Um, and then he was knocked out. He couldn't play for a few weeks. And then um, Dorian West, who ended up being my mentor and coach for about 10 years with England youth sides, yeah. and he became the forwards coach in yeah. Northampton. I remember him pulling me up, saying, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. He's, our t- he's our team. He's your teammate. Yeah. I said, he wasn't my team out in the day, and you keep picking him in front of me. Yeah. And um, he kind of gave me a bollocking, told me off, saying you can't do it, you can't, you know, it's, it's wrong, it's not how you play the game, that sort of thing. But from that day forward, he, he never didn't select me for, for England <laughs> it or club. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, mate. I was desperate, man. Like, I was desperate to make it. And I looked at this kid. Oh, he had a car. You know mm. what I mean? They had, I think, uh, they had a car, like, they had money. I just, was was, this, he was, was this, my route. Was, 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 was this hooker playing for England at the time? No, I, was, I was prop. Um, okay. uh, Lucy props and do you know what like I'm not proud of it but you know I, I found a way and he he was in the way um, did you find that you carried that on throughout the whole of your career I don't want to fast forward our convo here but did you find that you were like as a hooker the night before again he's my man the opposite hooker I've got, I need to take him out of the game tomorrow did yeah you- I mean that sort of mindset of taking him out um not, not necessarily. I think those years at Worcester, again, quite formative. When we were 17, 18, um, we'd get wheeled in for a forward session um, to, to maul and scrummage and basically ruck against the, the first team forwards who were like 35-year-old mm. blokes, yeah. championship rugby players as well, like gnarly old yeah. old pricks. And um, it wouldn't 
if you lift without a split or a black eye, like you've done well. Like we were literally getting filled in and, yeah. and fighting back. So I kind of cut my teeth in a in a quite a, a hard environment. And I remember like my first sort of premiership game, second premiership game, Danny Grucop just slips his bind in the scrum, drops three on my on my nose. You know what I mean? He's a tough man. Like as well. <laughs> I, I'd come through like yeah. the old school in yeah. a way, and all I knew how to do was to compete yeah. and literally fight. I'm not saying I'm a good fighter. Yeah. But the sort of mindset was drilled into us yeah. at Worcester. You know, you, you got to go for it. So, mm. I don't know. That probably got me in a bit of trouble um, throughout my career. But um, you know, not not being overly athletic or, or skillful, I think I had to kind of compete at that level and be confrontational. Mm. And the good thing is, man, like there's a place for that in rugby. Mm. Obviously, mm. N- not the shit over over the edge stuff. Yeah. But you don't need to be the fastest guy or the most skillful. Is somewhere in rugby for you to to be like a, a confrontational yeah. competitor? Yeah. So then, so then Northampton, you went up to eight grand. When did you decide? Mate, I was rich. You felt you felt the daddy then. When did you just when when did that start increasing? How easy was it to negotiate with a club to say, look, I'm the first team hooker? Were you negotiating, or were you? Did you have an agent still? Or no. Did you find an agent? Yeah, I think when that, that happens, um, when you've been in those England youth sides and stuff like that you get them agents kind of like hanging about, they yeah. start sniffing about and yeah. they start bribing you with Xbox yeah. games yeah. and shit. <laughs> All the shit that like doesn't matter. Yeah. But when you're 19, it's shiny yeah. and it's... um. So, yeah, naturally, I think when you're looking 19, 18, 19, 20, it probably happens younger these days, but uh, I picked up an agent um, and after a season of playing kind of men's rugby, that first year at Northampton, I probably earned more in my bonuses. I think I was getting like 500 quid a game and I played that many games. Yeah. Uh, was it 16 games? Yeah, I played more than 16 games. So I exceeded my my salary effectively. Okay. So I, um, yeah, at that, that point, they kind of offered a, a first team contract. Um, what did that start on, roughly? It was good. Yeah. You're talking 30, was, 30 grand? No, no, I, grand? I jumped much higher. Did it? Yeah. Do you remember? I, yeah, six Six figures, yeah. Was it? Yeah. Wow. And how old are you then? 20, 21. Wow. So that's, that's a good jump. Yeah. So 19, I signed my, my academy one. And then at 20, 21, yeah. But um, I think I was in the pipeline um, for for honours. You know, it, I'd, I think it was timing as well. Like Steve Thompson, the World Cup winner. Yeah. Um, he was kind of coming to the end of his mm. career before he retired first yeah. time round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think in that England setup, I'd come through that that youth system. Yeah, um, I'd transitioned to hooker at that point, yeah. and I think it was just timing. You know, there was no sort of other bolters. Yeah. Um, there's a couple others, and I was I was one of them, which is good. Um, so got lucky. You know, I mm. think I think opportunity. I mean, you got to be ready to take opportunity yeah, as mate. well, right? A- but um, absolutely. But did you was uh, was Tomo your main competitor at Northampton for how many years? Probably two or three. Uh, how was two. that? How was that relationship between you two at the club? Um, it started off pretty pretty chirpy. I remember when Northampton <laughs> wanted to to sign me, they they brought him to the meeting for the the Stardust. You know, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit. shit, no. But I, I remember this right. Yeah. I remember going back to Worcester, and you know, he he was saved in my phone as as Wally. You yeah. know, his nickname. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him texting me, and the boys being like, fuck, like Steve Thompson's texting yeah. him. But like that's how they do it these days, mate. Like, I, I think the club have probably used me in that respect yeah. as well to get young players yeah. to come. But um, it started well. But 
when he came back from um, his Lions tour and I was obviously playing this academy hooker and I'd obviously made uh, an impression. What Lions tour was this? What year? New Zealand. 05. 05, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I think it must have been a point. And I've seen it as well, you know, as, as a competitor, you know, when the young guys, you know, right there. And you know that the coaches favour that, and yeah. so it's um, your ego or your pride probably takes a dent. And sometimes competition, it's the polite way of putting it, brings out the ugly in people. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I learned a lot from that, and I kind of thought when I get to that position, that was the other thing when I was at Worcester, you didn't get looked after very well. Mm. I was desperate for like an older player to take me under yeah. his wing, and I, I didn't have it. Yeah, so I kind of thought. Did Tomo take you under his wing or was it properly dog eat dog? Um, bit of both. Yeah, okay. Bit of both. Uh, Begrudgedly take you under his wing, do you think? I'm not. Uh, I think he had other stuff going on his sort of life that probably, but and, and naturally I gravitated to, to other mentors, I yeah. suppose. I gravitated to what I knew. I gravitated to Paul Tupai, Matt Lord, um, Carlos Spencer, Mark Robinson. I understood Kiwi rugby culture. Yeah, yeah. It was like speak when spoken to, um, be invited to the back of the bus, that sort of thing. Yeah. I remember those boys saying, Niff, here, here's the card, go buy the McDonald's, get the beers. Mm. They wouldn't get off the bus. Mm. They'd give me, and it'd be like, I got a free meal out of that. Yeah. And equally, I didn't have a car in my first 18 months at Northampton. Mm. I used to ride like this fucking muddy fox that got given to me and it had a flat tire. <laughs> I could never be asked, change it, because it was enough to get me to the ground. <laughs> And back, I only live next door. Yeah, yeah. So I had a, a bike. Again, because I caught the bus at Worcester, uh, I was used to catching the bus anywhere, you know what I mean? But um, I remember Carlos being like, um, like on a Saturday night when we got back off the bus, we'd be boozing on the bus. I wouldn't because I'd drive him. He'd be like, you know, you keep the car for the weekend, yeah. you drop me home yeah. type thing. So I'd have a car for the weekend, which means I, you know, Sunday I could go do my food shop yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and shit like that. Yeah. So I gravitated towards what I knew. Uh, Paul Tupai, who's, um, I'd say he's my best mate, uh, trained with him this morning. Um, he'd come from the Bay of Plenty, so I grew up watching him. He was my local rugby, not my rugby hero, I'm not going to give him that, but yeah. he was the captain of the local rugby mm. team, you know. I grew up watching him. All of a sudden, he signs at Northampton, so I'm like, fuck, yeah. there's another guy from Rotorua yeah. here. Happy days. Ends up moving three doors down from me. Mm. Four or five nights a week, I'm having dinner at the house. Yeah. Um, so I gravitated to what I knew. So Tomo, Ben Cohen, that lot, uh, they were the England World Cup kind yeah. of superstars. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, was, it just wasn't – do you know what? We were competitors. Uh, there was probably not much more to it than that. Mm. Do you speak to him still today? No. No? No. Was it like in training with him? Um, was it – how long did he? That's how long? Thing. How long was he number one before you took it off him? It was probably that first first year, and then I think he left the club. Yeah, I think went he went to, to breathe. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because he came back, he retired, then yeah, he came he back, came and back. I was that's like, right. "Fucking my old oh, no. ghost is back." <laughs> oh, no. And it was when I was playing for England, though, and I was like, "I got, I got benched basically for for that." But you know, Jono, Jono was the the coach then, and and he went for tried and tested. You know, T- Tomo he'd played with. Yeah. Um, so I've got no issues there. But as a competitor, you go, fuck, I, I want to play. I had no issues with it, you know. Yeah. Um, Who was your coach when you first made your England debut? Um, it was a weird one. Didn't have one. We went on tour without, it was when Jono was appointed. Yeah. 
but he couldn't come. So we went with Rob Andrew on tour to New Zealand. You're joking me. To New Zealand, oh to the All Blacks. Oh, my God. And um, so check, this, is, this is quite big, actually. So I get selected on this tour. What year are we talking? 07, 08. Okay. Yeah, after yep. the World Cup. So early 08. Did you go with the World Cup? No. In 07? You weren't? No. Okay. No. Okay. I, I was kind of, you know, considered a bolter. Yeah. Um, the fact I got banned for six months. For what? Uh, eye gouging. Who? <laughs> you know, James Eskell. Can I, can I just say, I need to stipulate, I didn't kind of um, bowling bin. Yeah. Bo- bowling. Bowling. Bowling ball. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell, I was thinking bin. Bin juice, James Ask. Um, bowling, I did. I went through a ruck and um, I, I, I removed him by any means necessary. I, I dragged him by his, his face, basically. Yeah. I'd consider it a, a reckless action. Yeah. But again, lesson learned, you know, th- this is when rugby, I, again, I'm not justifying or trying to explain uh, my 60 weeks of a rap sheet, but this is the first thing. And rugby went through like a cleanup period. Yeah. And I was like the first major ban. Yeah. Like to come from rugby. Yeah. And then after that, there was eye contact kind of bans coming Left, right, right centre, two, three months here, two, three months here. And I got six months for mine. Um, Six months? Yeah, but I I need to explain this because when I look at my rap sheet and people are like, he's been banned for a year. It's, I mean, it's fucking impressive. No one else is going to do that. I was going to say, 60 weeks. Yeah, I got got eight major bands, none of which I'm proud of, but I mean, you got to sit back and laugh. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Eight major bands. Yeah. Can you remember what they're for? Yeah, well, first of all, let me go through it. Yeah. is the eye gouging and I went every ban after that I went with a QC like a top yep. top bollocks lawyer yep. and I always got a fair punishment I would say yep. for what I did you yep. know or didn't do or you know we can go into that in a minute yep. but the first time I went I didn't take a QC I went with a team manager and the CEO of the club yep. and I got six months and this was before rugby banned in Weeks or games, yeah. so now that there's no point banning someone over the, over the preseason, yeah, yeah, over yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah. I got banned over the summer, yeah. so they took into account three months without games okay. preseason. So when I look at my rap sheet, I could easily just go like, "Fucking, let's rub three months off that because yeah. it's ridiculous." But yeah. it just sounds good, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, I got done for three cases. Two got thrown out. I mean, I've elbowed someone, I punched someone. I mean, I got done for contact with the head or headbutt, and it was it was an over overexcited try celebration <laughs> on the opposite on Jamie George who yeah. then um, he had the last laugh kind of went on to replace me in the World Cup squad yeah. but I mean I literally by the letter of the law my head touched his head but I literally walked forward into him okay. leading I didn't you didn't pull it back and nah, then, no okay. it wasn't the old Glasgow yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's things like that where do you know what I, I understand laws and, and rules of rugby and it needs to be clean and we need to set a good example for the kids, but there needs to be a bit of common sense yeah. around. I've sat in that many disciplinaries <laughs> now. Like, do you know what? Poach, you turn gamekeeper. I should go fucking should consult the, and yeah. advise for them yeah, because yeah, yeah. they need some common sense. And yeah. it's, um, yeah, if they want to throw the book at you, they they can, you know what I mean? Um, and by that point, you know, I'd, I'd made a pretty good rod for my own back. Mm. I got myself in a few scrapes and by the time the next one came around, it was a bit of an eye roll. I kind of knew I was going to get done. Um, verbal abuse of a match official which 100% stand by I didn't do uh, you didn't do I didn't oh yeah. wow I, I stand by what I said and I, I, I where, pre- was the, where was this 
uh, Premiership final. Was it, what, yeah. Twicken- yeah, was for, it? for Northampton's first ever final against uh, Leicester, who are 130 Arch. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the local derby. Um, what happened? Just uh, the the game was kind of in a bit of a downward spiral. Um, I felt like we were on the back foot that first half and on the stroke of halftime, scrum under the sticks on the 22. And um, I felt like Leicester, this is the old kind of scrummaging laws, yeah. jumped the gun on us, rolled us, got a penalty out of it. And I, I kind of got up from the scrum and I, I muttered the words fucking cheat. And um, the referee took uh, exception. Uh, Wayne Barnes thought I was talking to him. He said... Um, I saw this player call me an effing cheat. Mm. It's a red card. And um, the fact was that he was actually facing the other way. Like, I thought about this. I could have gone to Crown Court, you know, yeah. with, with my evidence and yeah. got this overturned, but it wasn't worth my, my time. And I, I pleaded not guilty. I said I said those words. Mm. I said those words, but I was talking to Tom Youngs, yeah. who's my rival at the yeah. time. Dan Cole was best mate and tired. Lester. Not the riff. You yeah. know, like, I, yeah. I'd never gone down that route with yeah. a match official before. I've never been confrontational. Yeah. And I muttered those words and I could have said like, you know, we, we talk in rugby about cheap penalties. Mm. I even said like, I could have said cheap. Yeah. I said fucking cheap. Yeah. You know, like I was just muttering. to. But I said, no, I said fucking cheap. Yeah. But I wasn't talking to the ref. Yeah. And um, fair play for, because a lot of people could have tweaked that word. Yeah, but like, yeah. I didn't see the point. Yeah. And then the fact that he said he saw me Say it like, look, and then there's this whole back thing to it. Is I was a naughty kid, remember? I'd already made a rod for my own back. Mm. Uh, premiership final, I was the captain of the team, sending me off on the stroke of half time. Huge implications, wow. you know. Wow. Um, straight red. The RFU control the, the disciplinary panel, yeah. The RFU employ the ref, Like, there's no way they were going to go against the ref's no word. Way. No way. Wayne Barnes is a solicitor, yeah. He's a smart man, yeah. you know what I mean? He knows the impact of. And it, I remember being sat there and it was, um, he was on his fucking stag do as well. He, he he phoned in, I'm sat there in a suit. He was on his stag do. And he phoned in and it was like, was there any chance that Mr. Hartley's words may not have been directed at you? At you? He said 100% categorically, they were aimed at me. So like, they're never going to go against them, of course. man. So I, I rung Warren Gatlin. I've been selected for the Lions to tour. And I just said, look, um, he's like, are you going to appeal it? You know, we'll, we'll wait for you if you want to appeal it. And um, they're in Hong Kong at this point. I just said, look, if I appeal it, I kind of made the decision after everything I've just told you. Mm. It's not, I just said, it's not worth the appeal. They're not going to change their mind no, type thing. Not. So no. I'd say crack on, or I'll see you in four years type thing. Wow. He didn't pick me in four wow. years. Wow, did he not? <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you were meant to be on that Lions tour. Yeah. They were all in Hong Kong at the time. Yeah. You were going to fly out and meet them after the final. You got red card off the final and they were like, there's no way you're going to be representing the Lions now. No. Wow. No, do you know what? It wasn't, wow. it wasn't even that. Do you know? Because I, I grew up and I didn't even know what the Lions was. Yeah. Now I've got a greater understanding after playing here for 16 years, yeah. 18 years. You know, how long have I been here now? I don't know. I know what the Lions means mm. to the boys and to the people. Mm. But at, that point it was just like another sort of thing to add to my cv yeah. you know professional rugby player done that yeah. played for england done yeah. that lions would be good financial benefit yeah. bit of a tour yeah, good yeah, yeah yeah but like i had no burning ambition to play for the lions yeah i don't know if that sounds ridiculous but you can remember they only tour new zealand every 12, 12 years yeah, yeah, yeah so they toured in 2005 mm. 
and I was here mm. at that point. And previous to that, how old was I? Like, mm. I didn't even yeah. know who the Lions yeah. were. So yeah. I had no sort of affiliation or love affair with the Lions. The only thing that was shit about that day was like Northampton, like the town, my adopted sort of home. Mm. Um, it was it was kind of history making that we'd, we'd gone down there. It's the first final ever for the club at that level. And I was the captain. <laughs> I fucked it. You know what I mean? And to look at your mates uh, in the face. Yeah. It was funny because I was at Twickenham the other day, actually, and I cut away to use the bathroom in the away change room. Yeah. And I haven't been in there since that. Actually, the following year, we went and won the Premiership final yeah, in yeah. that changing room. Yeah. So I've only been in there two times. Yeah. And one was after that red card, stroke half time, and second one was the redemption year. Yeah. The yeah, following yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you How did you feel when you when you got sent off oh, and man. you went back into the changing room? Were you like, oh, no, mate, this is proper trouble. It was a it was a slow walk. It's like the whole world comes crashing down. Like I, I found it hard to. And again, like you can't you can't have a silent protest can't sit down on the field and say you, you know again respect the referee yeah. respect his command get yeah. off the field yeah so I go off the field and it's it's a long walk and you go back into the change room and I'm like right now's not time for an apology the boys are gonna I just fucked off down to the, the bathroom the mirrors had a good look at myself um, stood in the background while the, the coach kind of instructed what we're gonna do with 14 men um, and then they all go out and I'm sitting there thinking, fuck, like, you know, what do I do? You know, 86,000 people, uh, probably five mm. to 10 million watching mm. on TV. Mm. Um, actually, that's probably, that's what an England game gets, mm. probably less than that. Mm. But um, I think, what do I do? Do I cut away? Do I just fuck this off? But no, nah, it's like, I've got to go out there. I know the camera's going to be in my face. Yeah. But I was like, I've got to front up. Yeah. just going to go sit there. And yeah, camera's all stuck up in your face wow. every two seconds watching your reaction. And you know what? Same thing after the game, loser's medal. Still went up and got it. And obviously, uh, hat in hand sort of apology to the guys. And again, like I'm sitting there questioning myself going, like I'm apologizing for putting everyone in that situation. But you know, internally, I'm thinking I didn't fucking say yeah. that to the ref. Yeah. But off the back of it, man, like. Did you go up to the ref after said, no, nah. Wait, I, I did not say that to you. No, nah, I was too way too emotional at the Were time. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't the right time to do it. Yeah. But um off the back of it, like I look back at my captaincy, I'd probably I was quite just like how I played the game, I was quite spiky towards referees as well. Mm. And that experience basically made me have a good look at myself mm. and rejig or relearn. I got a little bit of assess how I talk to referees and how I conduct myself, you know. Mm. So I still played the way I did, but you know, in the new season, Wayne Barnes is refing me again. Yeah. And I'm there in an England training camp and he's coming in to, <laughs> to referee the training session. He sat at lunch with me and I'm just, you know, water under the you, bridge. Did yeah, you speak, to, did you speak up? Yeah. yeah. Did you speak to, up to him? Shake his hand, say, Yeah, hundred percent. You said did you say to him, I did not say that to you, just no, you know. Never done it. Just kept it stum. Never done it. He, he, would look, you would you say it to him? hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, there's a few people that try getting us on stage. Um, like he, he does a bit of speaking. He, yeah. Apparently, he's quite a funny bloke. Yeah. But like, it's part of his fucking stand-up now. You know what I mean? He's the bloke that sent me off. For, oh, okay. He's for, only a pound note. But, like, yeah, <laughs> but he, he's not going to change yeah. the story, is he? Of course not. Of course and not. I'm not going to change mine. So it's a, there's no point us being together, if I'm honest, because mm. it's going to be, you said it. No, you didn't. Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pointless. So, who, who was your England coach at the time? Um, would have been Stuart Lancaster. What was he like to work under? 
Um, was he different? Sub- different, was he? Yeah, he, he inherited a bit of uh, an amateur professional kind of bunch. Yeah. So Jono's group, they were kind of like the the boys that had been pro since 95, yeah. won the World Cup. Yeah. Train hard, play hard, party hard, that sort of thing. And then we obviously had a bit of a fallout in the 2011 World Cup in New Zealand where we, we played hard, yeah. we trained hard, but we also partied hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mate, I can't wait for this next bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't know. We'll probably cut back to it. But we, um, so England rugby took a bit of a hammering and I think our media have got a lot to do with that. We, we did no different to what a Welsh or Irish team were doing out there because of our media and, and probably having Mike Tyndall and the team he'd recently been married that just brought extra attention yeah. to, to what we're up to. Um, but we, we had a fucking good time. Yeah. You know? We made the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Yeah, um, but everyone doesn't, people don't remember that. No. It's weird, but, isn't it? You know, we, we get knocked out by France who go on to, yeah. to just lose to the All Blacks yeah. by the skin of their teeth, you know, so... Tell me about the, the dwarf throwing. And, um, we beat Argentina, went to Queenstown. Uh, party, think, party capital. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. are a few. You go there, bungee jump, jet boat, luge, you know, helicopter rides. <laughs> it's all put on for us, mate. Proper stag, though. Yeah, it was all put on for us. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm at a World Cup. I'm 22 years old, 23. I'm not going to turn that stuff yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we do that. And then there's a free bar put on as a, as a team bonding session. So... Again, being a young fella, I ripped in, mate. Yeah. Like it's what I knew how to do. I, I still got up and trained. I still played yeah. hard, and my my sort of role models, I suppose, at the time, they they ripped in as well. So I followed. You know what I mean? Um, but if you look at the the minority in the team like that, you had like Johnny Wilkinsons. Yeah. Like what an honour to to play with Johnny. Yeah. yeah. Maybe if I just kind of cut away and followed him. Yeah. You know, would would my career have been different. any better or you know but um mate, I just followed the group at that time I was a young fella and ripped into the free bar um and we're, we're walking home or looking for the next spot and the, there's the backpackers and like in New Zealand the backpackers is probably the best night out yeah. it's always got young people yeah, in there yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's always full and it's always boozy you know yeah. so we, we cut in there and it was um it was dwarf night and man no one got thrown it was just dance floor <laughs> we were just dancing <laughs> mate <laughs> We had a few <laughs> kind of we just busted some moves on the yeah, dance yeah, yeah, floor, yeah. and yeah, no one got thrown. Like, did you? No, but you did you pick a few up and just sort of throw them in the air to each other? No, like, there, there must have been a little there was bit of nothing like that. I remember like one of them tackled Chris Ashton <laughs> onto a couch, and we saw this happen. Yeah. So we kind of jumped on top of Chris Ashton, and I think that was the photo that the Daily uh, yeah. Mail took. And if you look, there's like some high vis, and that's actually the. the the, the little person was covered in like high vis. So if you can't actually see him, but if you know that the, the dwarf was in high vis, yeah. he's kind of dogpiled on top yeah. of it. Yeah, but yeah. it was his doing. He he but there's no throwing. But again, like it was a bit of fun. It, yeah. Mate, and the, the fact that I think um a prominent Irish rugby player was carried out of there the night before yeah. with no attention. Yeah. No like, one knew. Nah. Yeah. And look, listen, learn. Lesson learned. So you went from you went from uh, you went from Jono, yeah, to Lanny Lan- Stuart, Stuart yeah. Lancaster, and then straight to Eddie Jones. Yeah, what was it like going to Pennyhill Park training sessions under each different one of those coaches? Because I've spoken to a lot of England boys who are pals, and they're like, a high percentage of them didn't enjoy going training at, at Pennyhill Park, which is like a five star beautiful complex. They're like, 
oh man, I'm really not looking forward to this. Yeah, but like you, you take the missus there, you're going for a five-star spa yeah. and it's kind of like hell when, when I associate right, it okay. with kind of physical and mental strain. Right, you know? okay. Um, I worked out, I spent three years of my life there um, and I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. But I think what the boys are probably alluding to is until Eddie Jones, I felt disjointed as an England team. Oh, wow. You know, not not united. Yeah. Not um, what what Eddie did is he made the group aspirational, okay. which sounds ridiculous for the other two managers. But you know, Jono trusted a few guys. Was probably a bit pally. They had credit in the bank. Yeah. Lanny had his vision of how he wanted to do things, but Eddie, man, like he set the bar so high. If you didn't basically train every day, prove yourself every day, rip in every day, perform on and off the field, um, you were gone. Yeah. And because playing for England is probably worth explaining to the listeners, with all the gravitas and, and honour of playing with it, the financial implications, which, you know, rug, rugby's not a million pound contract mm. game. You know, mm. guys aren't earning millions. Mm. So playing for England is a huge financial benefit. So for guys to be there, they'll, they'll fight like fuck to yeah. be there and stay there yeah. and prove themselves day in, day out. And previous to Eddie, there wasn't really that. I remember those days of I almost wanted to go back to Northampton because I felt like we had a good team culture there. Yeah. We were all ripping in Northampton. We were being very successful at yeah. the time. I look forward to going back to club. Whereas in my twilight years playing with Eddie, I loved playing for England. Really? Yeah. Wanted to play for England because we had a vision. Yeah. He talked every day about being the best in the world. Wow. He talked every day about winning the World Cup. 2016, when yeah. he took over, he said, boys, None of you believe me, but we're going to win the World Cup in 2019. Wow. And he talked about it every day. To be the best team in the world, boys, we're going to do this. Are you, you know, pushing yourselves? Are you doing this? Are you trying to be the best every day? Because I'll tell you what, in four years' time, in three years' time, two years' time, yeah. boys, in one year's time, we're going to win the World Cup. Yeah. Talked about it every day. Really? And all that shit you read <clears throat> about, like uh, high performance leaders, yeah. inspiring, it's like fucking talk about it. Yeah, mate. You know, breathe it, yeah. live and breathe it. Yeah. And to, to full credit to him, he took the boys, well, they got themselves to that World Cup final and they were they were that so close, close, you know? Yeah. So um, he had the belief four years out to, to make the guys think like that. And do you know what? I don't think after 2015, the sort of fallout that Chris Robshaw and the boys had yeah. in that home World Cup, yeah. fuck, that was heartbreaking for them. Yeah. Um, were you involved in that World Cup? No, I got banned for, for headbutting <laughs> Jamie George. <laughs> No, there's what I mean. So, like, that, <laughs> so I got left out of that. And wow, um, were you were you going to be playing in that World Cup? And, yeah. And when did you headbutt him? Just prior, just, my, just before and my band. My band finished the week of the the tournament, so I could have been picked to go, but Lanny was so kind of clean cut, I suppose, and the bad news. I, I came with a story, yeah. you know, and he didn't want any of that. Yeah. So, um. By not picking me, he didn't want a 97 to 100% line out and set piece scrum, you know. Yeah. That's what I did bring to the team. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was his decision. But I had my daughter in that time, so I was at home. Okay. But the, the, the fucked up thing is, is I'd played under Jono. Yeah. Been to that World Cup. I played under Lanny for four years. Yeah. We'd been bridesmaids in Six Nations. So, like, to miss out on that, I had it in my head, like, I've been part of this England team for six years now. Yeah. Home World Cup, like yeah. we're going to win amazing, it. Yeah. We're all going to be fucking yeah. legends. We're, it's yeah. going to be amazing, go down in history. Yeah. So to miss out on it at the time was pretty, pretty hard. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, and in in, you know, silver linings had my daughter at home, and I reckon because I didn't have my fingerprints 
on that yeah. in 2015. That's why Eddie may, may have looked at me, you know, as a captain for, for 2016. So silver linings and, and sliding doors yeah. and, and all that sort of shit. So yeah, man, like I reckon 2016 when Eddie came in and said, none of you believe me. Mm. No one did because man, there was some, you know, boys had been runners up in Six Nations yeah. for four years, got knocked out of home World Cup. Yeah. Like they were low. chips were down. Yeah. The boys were low. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool how he kind of um, mentally turn, turned it around. Just going back to your England career here, what were you earning to play for England? So it started off at a certain price. Then did it jump up? What was the most amount it jumped up to per game? And did you have to actually be in that squad to get that money? Yeah, again, in the well, pretty tricky in, in the early years. It was, um, I think it was roughly about 10, yeah, 10 a game. Yeah. Um, I remember like the, like the hospo after games, especially yeah. at Twickenham, like being a young kid, like brown envelopes boys, everywhere, man, <laughs> yeah. the boys move quicker yeah. putting their suits on than bloody, <laughs> you know, in the warm up. Yeah. It's like the boys were out the door after the game and it was all monopolized by yeah. the old boys. They yeah. all knew the, the ropes. Yeah. And um, it was funny. It was just how it was. It was kind of play for England, earn good cash, get around the hospo tents, yeah. earn, earn extra cash. Yeah. Um, and everyone was doing it, you yeah. know. But as a young player, you're not, you don't know anyone, so you just sit and watch it happen. Yeah. And then that kind of all got phased out under Stuart Lancaster, you know, again, cleaning up the image. Okay. Boys not running around. With um, I swear some boys had like custom pockets in their suit jackets. <laughs> Quality. <and shit>. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they went out like in, in their suits and they came back looking like duffel jackets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> duffel coats. Sorry. Duffel coat. um, so they'd be going to so after the game straight away shower change straight into the hospitality different tents in the west carpet or wherever it may be or into the boxes. Yeah, a couple of grand each one. But then there are a few kind of centralised at all yeah. and you know um, people like your big tier one sponsors they wanted access to players so okay. all, got, all, all money sort of got pulled yeah. and it was all fair you know you'll do four appearances a year you'll do four and okay. it'll get cycled around so everyone will get a turn because yeah. what was happening obviously they, they want the, the the captain the faces they want the kicker yeah. Yeah, 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 you know yeah. all, all the usuals um, so it all kind of got <laughs> turned professional yeah. under Lanny yeah. again did that was that the point when it turned like that actually the RFU said right or the players are like, we need to get together because 10 Gs is not a lot of money for putting your body on the line playing for England. We need to up this, double but it or triple it. This is it. the crazy thing, right? So I was around those contract negotiations that happen every four four years on, on pay structure and stuff like that. And I've been in a few of them. Uh, I played for England for, for 10 years, so I sat in at least two of them. We, we did a bit of a kind of like market research and whilst the English Rugby Union is probably the best funded union in mm. the world and you know we get paid the most the team gets yeah. paid the most and we're probably the envy of of most well, yeah. most everyone's, nations yeah. everyone's pissed off as well yeah. they all hate us yeah, but yeah, yeah. we get we get paid well you know mm. but when you actually compare it to other sports and other industries it's not it's way down yeah i, I don't know the numbers but say if you're a, a, an artist a mm. uh, music artist mm. i think you you take far more of the gate uh, if you play cricket, tennis, all these things, mm. in terms of people coming through that gate to watch that performance mm. and people tuning in to watch it on TV, the boys are still way down in mm. a percentage of what absolutely comparable. I mean, if you you must know um, other industries. Mm. What well, uh, I don't know if it's comparable. I but, think it's, I think. Or what did it go up to before before you retired? Was it twenty five grand a man um, to play for England? I think it was about twenty two. Maybe twenty two. Yeah. 
Oh, and then an appearance after most guys do an appearance after you probably yeah. looking at. And how many and how many times would you play for England if you were playing each a year? Uh, it may be ten games a year. Ten games. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But then you get fifty percent taxed on that. You're yeah, left, you're left with a hundred or grand. Yeah, it's again, yeah. it's not um, again, it's not as as shiny as it seems. Mm. But there's um, there's obviously. Uh, image rights payments yeah. and stuff like that. So, so guys set up companies. What do you and, think? What do you think it's worth today when you see the players? What they well, what you've gone through. Man, what do you think they're worth a, a man to play for England? I'd like it to be you know all those people there to see that product. Yeah, and the product is the players. Yes, they put on the show, and I get sponsorship and all that other yeah. stuff and grassroots. But yeah. the guys need to be rewarded. Yeah. Just do the market research again. What's everyone else in different sports being paid? Yeah. Like they need to find some sort of mm. common ground. Mm. Like I'm not saying overpay them, but what figure would you put on it? Yeah, but again, like you're going to have the whole brigade that just say you should be playing for free. You know, you should play for the honour. Mm. But the fact that I've retired now, and the fact that I've still got to work, and my body is in fucking tatters, yeah. and I'm not playing the sympathy card here. Yeah. But uh, mate, I saw you walking here. Yeah, that's no, that's a good Jesus. day. Jesus, that's a good day. Yeah. Um, I, I, like I've got no cartilage in my knee. I've yeah. got none in my hip. I've got a few sort of head issues, which yeah. I don't like talking about because yeah. self-fulfilling if you fucking yeah. talk about it. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, Life yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, Today is good. Yeah, yeah. Just I don't want to get caught up in that. Yeah. So knowing what the guys put themselves through compared to other sports, yeah. the risks that they go through, I'd like to see it rewarded. Like I, um, my, Dil, my Dil, insurance. Dill, Dill, how much? It's 22k at the moment. I'm going to put a number on it. Let's get the players to that. But if you're playing 10 games a year, if you can earn a million pound a year playing rugby, I reckon you can afford to pay for your hip surgery and your knee surgery post-retiring. Because no one's paying for my hip surgery. I need about 17 grand. I can't prioritise 17 grand on my hip right now. I've got two kids. I've got other shit I need to take care of. And the fact that my insurance is almost flawed degenerative sort of issues in rugby which you acquire yeah I mean you've played the game no one walks away from the game professionally mm. Mm. they'll fucking retire because yeah. the bodies are fucked yeah and guess what no insurance pays them out because it's mm. like oh when you're 19 you rolled your ankle and when you're 34 that ankle's from you're retiring because when you're not yeah it's not as flawed so no one pays you out so you've got to fucking fork out to, to pay for your surgery that's crazy so if you've got money put away yeah so you're saying 100 grand a game that would be a nice number. Is that what you're saying? That's not too far off, is yeah. it? Yeah. But what I'm saying, what I'm, your point there is is such a great point. You're what you need thirteen grand or seventeen grand for your hip. Yeah. And you're going, hold on a minute. I've got two kids. They're prioritising that sort of my hip. I've just seen you walking down the street like an old man. Yeah. And you're not getting your hip done because you haven't got the pound note to do it. Well, and you no, and you've represented and you've represented your country how many times? Uh, Ninety-seven. Unbelievable. No, stop doing the math on those numbers. No, mate. Sliding scale. No, 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 no. But I'm sliding scale, but that's over the years. But I'm saying, yeah. I'm saying it's unbelievable. I'll tell you that. what. My missus is sitting there saying, "Do it, prioritize yourself." Yeah. But I'm saying, "No, nah, no, nah, I'm good." Like I, I train every day. Like yeah. I may walk like that. I'm not in pain because I'm probably offsetting it. Yeah. If I was continuously in pain, I'd sort it. Yeah. But I, I just think it's fucked that everyone gets spat out. Yeah. And rugby kind of closes the door on yeah. that and doesn't. They've got responsibility to look after their people. You know yeah. what I mean? Physio, osteo, all that shit just gets taken away from you. You're, you're a civilian. It's like, yeah. go fix your fucking body. Yeah. Um, Did you find that when you left Northampton? It's like you finish, you retired. See you later, mate. 
Basically, yeah. Because Hask was the same. He said, with Wasp, he's like, mate, I just finished. I, I've yeah. been loyal to you for 10, 15, whatever many years. Bam, see you well, later. Well, he actually finished at Northampton with me. He did. He did. And he said he got a lot more love at Northampton than he did at Wasps. Did you retire because of injuries? You retired going, yeah. I'm done. Or were they like, mate, your time's done? No, like, no. What? I retired because of my knee. And that's the fucked up thing. So daily, I was spending about five hours to train for an hour, to, to run and, and train on the rugby field. Yeah. So I go to the swimming pool in the morning, mobility, go to the club, uh, osteo, physio, fire ups in the gym, go train for an hour, yeah. and then come off the field, osteo, physio, massage, swimming pool. So it's like five hours built around one hour training session. Yeah. I couldn't do that every day. It just wore me down. Wow. So that every day, just to get on the field, and all of a sudden you go, my knee's not at a, a level to perform anymore. It's like, okay, let's retire. Okay, cool, all done. But then all that shit that you were trying to do to be able to walk and run yeah. effectively. Taken away. Yeah, all that infrastructure, all that. Could you not go back to the club and say, do us a favour, I need to be looked after. Just let me use your physio, let me use your massage, let me use everything. That's my point, is um, I think there's a responsibility to professional rugby to do it, and it's not there. Wow. Um, it's, it's a bit fucked up. I, I, um, I was going through my phone the other day and I saw one of the... The RPA reps, yeah. uh, the Rugby Players yeah. Association. And I just said, hey, here's just a bit of food for thought. Only because I saw their name. Yeah. I typed up all this shit, everything yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. And I just said, no one's checked on me since I've retired either. Um, I may be the England captain or whatever. And I just said, if I was wired differently, someone else could be in a hole right now. Yeah. I said, by the way, I'm not. Yeah. But here's all my list of points that I think you need to fucking implement. Good for you, mate. Um, and I said, it's just food for thought. Use it how you want. Now I've got they've got them all fucking chasing me, seeing if I'm all right. Right, okay. I'm like, fucking leave, fucking me, leave alone. me alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you know, I, I can imagine with some other boys. Um, I, I've never been depressed or anything no, like that. I've no. ne- and mate, I think I would have known about it if with all my bands and yeah. the fucking mate. I, I was getting trolled before. Be kind was a fucking yeah. thing, and yeah. Um, you know, like I've been through all that <laughs> shit. So like, I'm not wired that way. But yeah, yeah I think professional rugby's got a bit of um. How the fuck have we gone on to this responsibility to, to look after its boys? Because, yeah. I, you know, it's one suggestion I said is like for a year at least, get that player back on his feet yeah. physically so he can kind of... Whose responsibility is it? Is it actually the clubs or the RPA? Can the RPA dip into a fund and say, well, we need a no, look there's off? No, there's we need no a, fund. There's no fund? Nah. Did you get insurance against something to say... I, I, I had private insurance and then I had RPA insurance, but none of them pay out for degenerative. And no one wants to cover concussion either, funnily enough. So it's it's flawed, mate. It, it really is flawed. Mm. Um, you know, sign up to RPA or insurance <clears throat> when you're 20 years old, blow your knee out, retire, get payout. Mm. Do it when you're 34, 35. Yeah. Nah. Nothing, yeah. So what's the point in paying into something for, for 15 years, you know mm. what I mean? Mm. Did you, you know, they talk about each week in training, you've got your Leicester, your Northampton, they're smashing each other each week. How many car crash, crashes do you think you were having per week before playing a game on Saturday. Oh, man. You see now it's regulated, right? Yeah. So it's born out of that. So 15 yeah. minutes a week now is, is what it is, which is, again, I went I went to a, a rugby international rugby board meeting in Monaco. Sounds very glitzy. Mm. And I said that. I said, we need to regulate contact training. Fucking five years later, that they've kind of got it through. Yeah. I'm not saying that I came up with that, Yeah. but it's, you know, players have been crying out for it for a while. Yeah. I'll tell you why, because you would have, being coached by people like this, mm. you lose Sunday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. It's like Monday, you go out, it's like, right, fucking yeah. two on ones, yeah. run it straight within a five meter channel, yeah. you know? And again, under Eddie Jones, it would be like 
everything was planned, minuted. Yeah. You know, like a gym session yeah. where you've got like uh, exercise A and B superset, two minutes rest. Two, like Eddie's sessions are planned like that. Oh, His okay. rugby sessions, three minutes on that, yeah. three minutes on that, water break, 30 seconds. It's fucking, they're all wired up. Yeah. It's so professional. But I remember like coaches going, just 10 minutes. You, you, the boys, are, you know, we've been going ages yeah. and start doing the eye rolls, looking around, and he'd go, keep going, keep yeah. going. And like some of the coaching methods. Or just was, smashing each other. Keep yeah. going, keep going, yeah. Some of the coaching uh, techniques of rucking, it's like put your head on his head. Yeah. Who's harder? Yeah. He'll move, you know, you know moving a, a Richie McCaw or mm. a David Pocock mm. in a clear out. It's like put your Swede on his Swede. Mm. And it's like we were coached to do that. Yeah. It's a fucking – but I'm not blaming coaches for that. I'm just saying culturally the game has changed a yes. lot. And I was brought through in that system yeah. where – it was fucking break people's fingers to get them off. We yeah. used to do warm-ups with your own teammates. It's like, get the ball off him, rip his fingers. It's yeah. like, I'm a teammate. Yeah. Put your head on his head. It's just like, do horrible things. Legalised violence. But, mate, basically. Yeah. But yeah. then you talk about like, all your, your car crashes and, yeah. you know, like scrummaging for me early days. You know, now it's all like grab, touch, yeah. you know, touch, bind. There's hardly a hit. Yeah. I, I was scrummaging where I play against someone mental, like an old boy, that make the gap almost as big as this. Yeah. And I, the, my, my first few professional scrums, yeah. the guy would just look at me like you. Usually you, I'd be looking there yeah. at your shoulder where yeah. I'm going to go. Yeah. He'd just be looking at me yeah. and he would engage onto my head. Yeah, It was like an intent. And, yeah. and it fucking worked. Yeah. Did I, didn't, you, I didn't want to be there. Yeah, but did you take that mentality? Go, yeah. I'm going so to pass it on. Yeah. 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 You know, I yeah. came through in that school. So, man, culturally the game's changed a lot mm. um, and I think steps like that what are you doing how did you find the transition of actually retiring and going oh, well, I'm not getting up I'm not trying not being militant not being told what to do to be there to be, to actually having the freedom yeah it's it's um it's liberating yeah um, i tell you what uh, mentally liberating because I've been pushed pretty hard by Eddie in my final years and with physically when I was shutting down as well um, I was trying to fight for every last sort of opportunity to play for England and, yeah. and whatnot. So when I finished, it was like I'd broken the shackles of of like Eddie, Eddie Jones. He kind of controlled my life in a good way, you know, yeah. he pushed me and Was he and, a mentor? Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was hundred percent my mentor and um got a lot of respect for him. But he made me pretty uncomfortable, which is why probably got the most out of me. Mm. But um In what way? He made you uncomfortable, putting you under pressure oh, to perform man, like, or Yeah, I've just he knew I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there, but he also said to me, you know, you, you're not the best player here. You know, Jamie Jaws was playing very well at the time. And um, he said, you, again, you're not the, the best player. Physically, we can't do much with you. Mm. You're 31. Yeah. You know, we can't get much more out of you, but we can make some little changes. Yeah. But he said, you, you, you've got a good mindset and you can work hard. And he goes, I want you to be the, the example of work ethic. So at 31 Brilliant. years old, like oldest Brilliant. bloke in the team. Brilliant. I was being beasted in front yeah. of the boys just to, Pro, yeah. you know, if the captain can be fucking put under yeah. the pump, you all can. Yeah. So I was his sort of um, example of work ethic, and he worked unbelievably hard as well. Yeah. You know, so I, I was I was there for the guys to to set the example um, in terms of you know I always did top up fitness, not yeah. not by choice. Yeah, I was yeah. made to do it day off when the boys are kind of recovering, pancakes, massage, stretching. I'd be doing like. Um, Ground-based conditioning, fighting, okay. kind of all that sort of stuff, extra fitness. What, which all the other players could see. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I'd come. And that was that so was, was down either to there, or I'd come into the room sweating. You know, um, always have my notepad with me because I'm out of meetings all day. It just wasn't. Um, you know, I was I was more worried about the team training and the team tra- playing well than myself. If that yeah. makes sense, I was yeah. always. It was just a, a very harsh environment, um, but one that I sort of, when I look back at it, as soon as I finished, it was liberating because yeah. it was like having a holiday. But now I look back, if I was to talk to any of the guys, I'd say, I know how you all feel. It's a bit sort of that sicky feeling before fitness. Yeah. Every training session is pretty hard. you got to go hard. You've been pushed. Yeah. But like I miss that feeling of being challenged, yeah. having a higher power yeah. effectively to keep you honest. You know, I had a nutritionist come to my house every 10 days, two weeks, you know, stripped down in my pants, skin folds, taken yeah. eight sites. Uh, bloke would drive two and a half hours to come do it yeah. just so Eddie would know what my weight is and what my skin folds are. Is that are. right? Because as a fat lad, yeah, he knows if I'm committed and diligent, the one thing I can control is what's, what's going in your my mouth. mouth. Yeah, yeah, mate. So, and for me, man, I, I look at a pint of beer and I'll put on, I could, mate, I could put on four kilo in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. I started... um. <laughs> living like a monk, you know what I mean? Like social life, fell on the back burner, wouldn't eat out. Um, you know, this is where like partners of professional okay. athletes okay. Uh, are support, you know? Uh, so I miss funerals, weddings, christenings, yeah. just popping out, going out for a Thursday night meal with yeah. friends, just yeah. didn't do it. Yeah. Or if I went out, I wouldn't have, um, wouldn't have a fucking starter, wouldn't have dessert, yeah. and I'd have a fucking steak and yeah. a salad, you know yeah. what I mean? Or I'd be that guy, but all because I knew on Monday, this dude's come to take my skin folds and Eddie's going to see yeah. it. And I won't, like... Oh, that must be quite nice as well. Yeah, that's like, like a mess yeah, in a way, but yeah. it's, it's fucking taxing at yeah, the time. Yeah, okay. It's like, there's no social life or whatever, because I don't know how people manage to do it with balance. Yeah. I, I was either one or the other. Yeah. Off-season. All in or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> smash it for two weeks yeah. and then I'm straight back on it. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm trying to find now. Like, I've got no higher power, so what makes me accountable? You know, Prior to about when I saw you, I had a bit of a social time mm. um, with weddings and stag do's and, yeah. and good social summer events yeah. and all that. But then, you know, in the last three weeks, I've kind of got up at 5.30 in the morning yeah. and got two mates that come train and yeah. we hold each other accountable yeah. and it's like, I won't booze now. Yeah. You know, I've got nothing to not booze for, yeah. but I've got to do one or the other, yeah. you know? Dill, it's been an absolute delight to have you on the podcast. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that, mate. Well, I hope it wasn't too rugby, you know what I mean? No, mate, um, it was good. It I was did, honest. I had an eBay business back in the day. Mate, it was honest, mate. And this is about people who have had eventful lives. And you've certainly had an eventful life. And I really do appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. You're a gentleman. Good man. Cheers, Dodge. Cheers, mate.